Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Do recurring dreams really mean anything? Will human suffering ever really end? What exactly is a portal and how does it work? Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 279th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul, and I'm afraid that my son, partner, and co-host is is not with us tonight. He's home uh, sick. He's kind of under the weather. But I want to say he did the show alone last week for the first time in three years on the air, and I think he did a pretty good job. Also, our guest, Todd Banks, uh, last week was a, was a fine guest as well, and the two of them uh, had a great conversation. And I encourage you to listen to the podcast of that. Uh, on our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, along with almost 300 other podcasts of other shows on this station, uh, on CBS, and on the South Dakota-based Chief Radio. So check it out, BehindTheParanormal.com. So I'm all by myself tonight, folks. You want to call in? Please do. We're going to be talking about some emails, and we're hoping to hear from some of our show reporters. All areas of the paranormal are open for discussion from our very unusual viewpoint, which you will hear shortly, if you have not already. And I would encourage you to call us. It is 401-766-1240 in the local calling area and nationally 800-449-1240. So please do not hesitate to call in. If you have stories of your own, questions of your own, uh, odd things that have happened, we're going to talk about them tonight because it is an open line show. But first things first, it is time, as Ben would say, for our weekly paranormal contest. Scott Gogan of Uxbridge, Massachusetts, in our local listening area, got the answer to last week's question. What 1960s rock star had a running conspiracy theory that he himself was an alien? And the, I didn't know this. Ben came up with it. The answer was Jimi Hendrix. So congratulations to Scott. You should have received your book in the mail by now. This week's question is more ghostly. Quote, in what body of water between New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island has a flaming ghost ship been reported? So get that right and win an autographed copy of my most popular book, Footsteps in the Attic. Call us locally again, those numbers 401-766-1240 or nationally at 800-449-1240. If nobody gets it before the end of the show, drop a line to Ben at ben at behindtheparanormal.com. So now we are off and running. And let's start with our emails. We uh, are still trying to get through the thousands of emails we received after our coast-to-coast appearance on uh, May 16th, Ben and myself. But this one is not related to that particular issue, and I found this rather moving, and it is from Zoe in Northern California. And Zoe writes, Hi, Paul and Ben. I'm not going to tell you exactly where I am because I'm afraid that the, as you call them, feral ghost hunters will be all over my property. But I wondered what you think of what has happened between me and the ghost on my property. We live on a large tract of land that has been in my family for three generations. On it is a hill where many of my relatives over the years have reported seeing the ghost of a woman whose husband went off to the Civil War but never came back. Now, uh, now California was a Union state during the Civil War, but I'm not sure how many Californians came all the way east, but this, this must have been somebody who really was dedicated to the cause. Anyway, she stands on the hill at sunset looking uh, south. Huh. I took this all with a grain of salt until I saw her myself last spring. There she was one evening, standing on the hill in the setting sun. 
I was already a fan of your show by then, and I decided to put into practice some of the theories you talk about when it comes to ghosts. First of all, that they are not ghosts, but complete people still in their own worlds and times. The next time I saw her in late October 2010, that doesn't make sense. If she was, was only six months, I don't know. Oh, when did this get? Oh, this we've had this email for a while. I'm sorry. In late October 2010, I approached very slowly, sending out feelings of compassion and being very careful to see if I picked up any negative feelings as a clue that this could be a parasite instead of a person. It's something we warn about a lot. I got to within 100 feet of her, then looked away just for an instant because of a rustle in the grass. When I looked back, she was gone. I've often seen that or not seen it. You know, you you, you just look away for a second and and whatever it is, is is gone. Anyway, I wrote to you then, but I guess you missed the email or were too busy. Well, sorry about that. We, We try to get to all these emails, especially interesting ones like this. They are screened, but we don't always get them. And uh, Zoe continues, I saw her again at sunset a week later. This time she was walking slowly along the ridge. I got to about 50 feet, being careful not to take my eyes off her. She looked completely solid. This time I'm convinced she could feel my presence and that I meant no harm. She turned her head, looking in all directions, but didn't seem to see me. Then, like a slide projector, the scene changed and she wasn't there. That's a very good way to put it, actually, because I've had that experience. It's like th- th- there's just a, an instant of blackness and another scene comes through. Uh, you probably, long-time listeners, know my theory about why that happens. Anyway, uh, Zoe continues, I didn't see her again until a week ago, and I again got to about 50 feet. She knew I was there and didn't seem afraid, though I, didn't, though I don't think she understands the circumstances. Okay, I'm not sure what she means by that. My question is, where do I go from here? This is too fascinating to back off. All right, now this is this is a very interesting question. We have two people, in my opinion, from two different times, two different worlds perhaps, maybe about to make friends. It, it's happened to me. It's happened to other people. And I often have uh, the the... I don't mean to make fun of ghost hunters, but I think that a lot of them... Well, frankly, a lot of them deserve it. I don't take them very seriously. Others are very dedicated, although they they, uh, really don't have too much contact with the actual field of research that is serious. And they, I don't know, I don't take them all, I don't take them all that serious. Anyway, when you have a ghost hunter approaching this sort of thing, aha, it's someone who died. Someone who's uh, stuck here on earth, looking for her husband coming back, doesn't know she's dead and all this stuff. Because what else could it be? But in our theory, this is someone, as Zoe points out, who is in a parallel existence, fully alive, body and all. And this is what most ghosts of this type are, in our opinion, and in my experience over the last 40 years. Because this stuff, I tried the original uh, spiritualist idea about spirits of the dead, didn't work. wasn't good enough. So I think what the next step here would be, Zoe, would be something that, that I have done and that other people can do. And that's since you are apparently sure, and I, I would trust your judgment on this, that this is not a, a parasite. And when we say parasite, long-time listeners know what these are. They are negative entities that are not human, who will literally are cosmic mosquitoes. They will feed upon our energy, and they will. that's how they eat. 
Right? The, you know, they're not demons in the classical sense. I mean, they're, they're life forms like any other. But they will, as part of their, their strategy, as in other creatures in nature, will mimic something else. Uh, many insects do this. But these things are all part of nature like anything else, although a rather bizarre part of nature, supernature, if you want to call it. But uh, this apparently is not what this is. It really does seem to be a person. I would say, Zoe, that you should continue to approach when you see this apparition, I think you will eventually get to a point where you will have a modicum of communication. Usually, do, uh, We usually do not advocate communication with these things, but this sounds like a very clear case where that might be possible, and always with compassion and positive thoughts in your heart. This woman will pick up on this, and even if she doesn't understand who you are or where you're from, uh, to her you would be what we would call a time traveler, I guess, you might be able to establish a compassionate relationship. But what I'm thinking of is an experience that, that happened to, to me in West Virginia. Well, actually, it was Ohio. I think the island was, was, in, it was in the Ohio River. And Ben and I were in, uh, at the Paranormal Conference uh, in uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia, which takes place annually, organized by our good friend Susan Shepard, whom has, you may have heard on the show. And we went out to... Ben, unfortunately, was not with me that day. He was a lot younger than he is now. But he went out... Uh, he was with his mom in the town, and I went out with a group to visit Blennerhassett Island, quite a formidable name, which was built at the time that that Ohio River was the western boundary of the United States in the 1700s. And the Blennerhassett family were very rich, and a young woman there had lost her son. Uh, probably drowned in the river, seeing it was an island, a terrible thing to have happened, but she they never did find uh, the boy. And uh, supposedly her ghost is among the many ghosts and, on this island and in this lovely estate. So we went over to do a ghost walk, Okay, something I never usually do, because I think most of them are rather silly. And uh, there was a very large group, and uh, Susan, who was the head of the conference, uh, all of a sudden said, well, Paul's going to lead us tonight. Nobody's told me anything about it. I said, huh, what? But actually, it was a very interesting experience. We walked down uh, the various roads on this island. And that wasn't a very big island. But we did come to a spot where there was a, an open field. And we, uh, so the instructor, who was, a, I guess, a park ranger, was an historian, was discussing a certain, uh, certain facts about a certain building on the estate. And I all of a sudden had my attention grabbed by something that was behind us. And I looked around, and there was a, just a grassy field, uh, not a very big one. And then maybe 100 yards, there was the Ohio River. And I just, I kind of left the group and walked down into this grassy area. I felt the presence of a woman. And all the people in the group suddenly noticed that I was you know, supposedly the leader. I, I was walking down to this field, and they started to follow me. And I felt very clearly, and I'm not some big psychic or anything. I don't even like to use that word. It's got too much baggage. But we're human. I like to think of it as humanity in action across the multiverse. Just as we can walk into a room and feel even someone we don't know is is in distress or is sad or is angry, we can feel that across the multiverse too. Very often that's why you walk into a room in a place you've never been and you don't feel comfortable or you feel as though someone else is there. You're not crazy. It, it's, it's 
a normal part. It's it's a normal part of being a human being. It's a survival instinct that if we didn't have, we wouldn't exist anymore. Because the, as they often say, the uh, <clears throat> the predator would have jumped upon our ancestors if they had no feeling of being watched or, or being in danger. So anyway, that's that's what I think what, what this this is. It's a normal human ability that should be paid attention to. Anyway, we, we kind of gathered around there, and there was one particular person in the group who was very sensitive to this, and it was agreeing that. Uh, here was a woman, and I, as I recall, we had not heard the story yet of the woman who had been looking for her son, and she would walk the beach. After I heard, I told the uh, the historian, I said, well, wouldn't, wouldn't she be on the beach if this was... He said, well, that area had been filled in. It once was a beach, and the river had once... And of course, you know, like the Ohio, like the Mississippi, will all very often change the, the, the coastline and change the, the land forms uh, through which it flows. And this had been indeed the beach upon which this woman had been uh, walking uh, to mourn or look for her her son in the uh, 1820s, actually, I believe. So what I said was, well, whatever this is, somebody's in distress here uh, across the boundaries of space-time, as it were. And all of us held hands, and we just... We didn't do a seance or any of that nonsense. We we, uh, simply uh, sent out feelings of love and prayer and and compassion and something changed in that atmosphere whether that woman knew that people from 200 years in her future or more were were attempting to send love to her I think she knew it and uh, I just it was the most wonderful warm feeling that we had you know human solidarity is a wonderful thing but across the worlds with people who from other times, it is entirely possible. It should happen every day. And I think this is what Zoe, in her email, is discussing. She has the possibility to do that. So, you know, why do we see these people, is another question, who are going through this sort of distress? Well, I think that it's, in my experience anyway, over the past decades, it's because whenever something of great emotional trauma or great emotional effect is taking place, it sends out echoes across the multiverse, across the boundaries, because it's, it's not a closed system. Hollywood would have you believe that it is. Uh, there were used to be shows like Sliders and Quantum Leap and all this stuff, and they tied into the multiverse idea, and people would you know, leap from one to the other and things would be different. Well, yeah, that, but I think it's a far more open system. Those who, and the show last week, our friend Todd Banks was on talking to Ben about his experience living in the multiverse, living in this community of interactive worlds, probably an infinite number of them, uh, in, in many of which we have lives. And our, our approach to this, which I suppose you could call a spiritual approach, is that we are one big person in all these worlds. We, we share many, many lives, uh, which is, and it's one big life altogether. So the more you discover of this, you uh, become a bigger person, you become more aware, you become more wise, you, become, you learn from things you're learning in other worlds. And that is, I think, what, what is happening here. So anyway, I think the multiverse idea explains all this. And I think, again, what happens is that when we are sensitive to these things, we pick up other people suffering. We had a case uh, right here in our local area a number of years ago, many years ago, in Cumberland, Rhode Island, long before Ben was involved with this. He was only a little. And in Cumberland, which is right near here, uh, we had uh, the case of a, and this is, this is in my book, Footsteps in the Attic, uh, published in 2002, and we had a, a lovely old colonial home. The family called this in, and there were two things going on. 
One was a little girl um, apparently hiding behind a hutch in the living room of this lovely colonial home. And you could feel her presence there, and she, in my opinion, now some psychic came in and said, oh, she won't leave the earth because her, the, the sorrow of her parents were keeping her you know, hundreds of years ago. And I said, no, you know, maybe that's true, but I, I don't think that's what had anything to do with this. I think she was a little girl living in a parallel world, occupying the same space as, as this lovely family who owned the house. And she simply was very aware, as many children are, and as we are too sometimes, of other people impinging upon her reality. And she wasn't afraid. She was just sort of playing games. Because that, and she would be seen in the house sometimes at night, kind of, you know, uh, in, in uh, compromising situations. At times, the poor man in the house would come out of the bathroom late at night and is half, half dressed and this little girl staring at him. But anyway, it, it uh, turned out to be uh, something not uh, negative. However, in the basement, and there was a, s- a secret cellar, as the people called it, uh, which they believed had been used in the Underground Railroad, which was the, the escape system that, that the abolitionists in the 1800s had to bring slaves out of the South and bring them to Canada where they could be free. The... Uh, there were, there were supposedly a secret basement that was involved in, in hiding these slaves. Now, of course, every house, now I have a, you know, I'm, I'm something of a historian too, and every house in New England before 1850 supposedly was involved in the uh, Underground Railroad, if you believe the owners. But that's not true. So I don't know if this one was or not. But the point being that there was a walled off area where there was something really, I'm not going to say negative, but very depressing and something awful had happened there. It was believed by the family that one of the escaped slaves had died and was buried in the basement. Now, melodramatic as it sounds, these things did happen. So whether this house was involved in there in the Underground Railroad or not, there was a person named Kevin who was involved here. And instead of going in and doing you know, seances and all those other you know things you shouldn't do, I said, I want you, and this is the whole family, to express compassion and solidarity and love with this person. And uh, they really got it, they did it very seriously, and, and they all, all uh, followed that advice very um, closely. And the, uh, the young girl in the family who was having most of the experiences uh, told me later on that she, uh, uh, not too long after this, that she had had a dream in which this Kevin was rocking her in a hammock out in a part of the yard that seemed to have a lot of energy in it. And he had the most beautiful smile on his face. And the next time I went back to this basement, the, the, the feeling was much, much better. So what happened here? I think that people with their compassion reached across and prevented a tragedy, whatever happened, in one or more parallel worlds. Because these things don't all happen in one world. They happen in many. And the fewer in which they happen, the, the, the less echo there is in ours or any other. So I think that we, they actually improved the life of this person, maybe even saved his life in this other world. And, and uh, this dream was a way of kind of saying that. And again, this is um, quantum physics taken to its logical or illogical conclusion. So I think this is the sort of thing that Zoe is dealing with in Northern California. And, and I wish her luck. And please continue to write to us. I'll make sure that, these, that your name is on the... Uh, happy list and you always get through to us because I'd, lo- I'd love to hear how you're proceeding and my congratulations on using uh, these new ideas which aren't all that new uh, to uh, maybe help somebody from the past or even the future because people aren't necessarily from the past okay here's another one this is from 
Bob uh, does not want to use his full name, so I'll just say Bob in Dearborn, Michigan. And Bob writes, I have a ghost in my house that is asking for help. I don't see it, I only hear it. It's always behind me and follows me down the hall. My mom and dad don't hear it, but my dog seems to and gets nervous. Okay. Well, Bob, I would say, obviously, probably a young person here living in the home with his mom and dad, I would say that Bob should be careful here. I'm always somewhat suspicious when you have a ghost asking for help. Uh, Most of them... Might, a lot of them might need help wherever or whenever they're living. But when they follow you around and ask for it, that kind of has... Um, I've seen a lot of parasites do that. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is a parasite, you know, a negative entity looking to feed upon you, but it could very well be. When it's paying attention to one person in particular, that makes me suspicious. I would say I'd like to know more about this, Bob, if you would be kind enough to uh, write to us again. I would say ordinarily, too, that one of the questions I ask is, how many people in the house are experiencing this? Is it just you, or is it other people? Now, obviously, other people experiencing it can give credibility to the phenomena. On the other hand, just because one person is experiencing it doesn't mean that it's not legitimate. <coughs> Excuse me. And the dog, and I pay attention to animals in this, in this instance, too, because they tend to be very sensitive to these things. If not, if only because of, of of certain sounds and other phenomena that can be produced by electromagnetic fields that make these things able to manifest, and that that it, that seem to change energy between worlds, cross world boundaries, and I've actually traced that with uh, one in in a number of different ways. So I think that I'd like to know more about this, Bob, and I would say be very careful. Examine your feelings. I, I don't want to sound like, like Obi-Wan Kenobi here, but th- th- that is important. Examine your feelings. Do you really feel comfortable with this? Most people don't feel comfortable being followed by a voice. But do you feel wonder or fear, or do you feel negativity? I would pay attention if you feel negativity, because uh, we uh, have the same reaction to these parasites way down deep that we would to the, a threat from uh, a tiger or something, or some uh, physical predator, because these are predators. Uh, I would say just be very careful with this, and I'd like to know more about it. Do not trust it at this point. I'd like to know what it wants help for. Uh, it is not impossible that it is a person who lives in a world where they're very aware of other worlds occupying the same space and maybe does need some help. But I would be very suspicious at this point. And uh, anyone with any thoughts on that, I'll remind you again, please, you know, my, nobody to talk to today. There are wonderful producers here, but he's not supposed to say anything. So call in uh, locally, 401-766-1240, or uh, nationally, 800-449-1240. So uh, I will take this moment to do a bit of a commercial break. And we'll be right back on Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. Stay with us. I'm registered dietitian Karen Zangari, reminding you to put food first. You know your mother was right. You do need to eat your fruits and vegetables. I'll be talking about food, nutrition, and you on Monday mornings after Coffee Ann, right here on ON Radio. ON Radio, ON Worldwide. Okay, and I wanted to just tell you about our wonderful sponsor, 
Amazon, Kindle, now e-books, electronic books are becoming an attractive alternative to expensive printed books. <clears throat> a lot of publishers are realizing that even. Uh, and uh, printed newspapers and magazines too. And your best deal in e-books is the Amazon Kindle e-book reader, now as low as $114, could even be less. This is our latest information here at the station. But you want to uh, check that out at Staples too. Staples has it. Uh, you can get over 900,000 books, newspapers, and magazines electronically delivered right to your fingertips. No more shipping charges, no more $4 a gallon get- drives to the bookstore, no more bulky and environmentally unfriendly packaging to get rid of. I find that a real pain in the neck. And read the books you love for as much as half the cost of the print editions. Books available on Amazon Kindle include four of my own. And they include The Popular Footsteps in the Attic, which we mentioned before. Uh, also, uh, it's no longer available in stores until it's reprinted. Uh, Turning Home, God, Ghosts, and Human Destiny, which, by the way, has the story of that West Virginia experience I just described earlier in the show. And uh, Faces at the Window, which has the famous case of the Village of Voices in Pomfret, Connecticut, in our local listening area. And under my historian's hat, Rhode Island, a genial history, which I co-authored with Emmy Award-winning TV journalist Glenn Laxton, who lives also locally. So check out the Amazon Kindle store at Amazon.com today. Kindle also, as I say, is available at Staples, and it makes a wonderful gift. Okay, so let's come back. Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, minus the Ben tonight. He's under the weather. And I'm by myself, and uh, give us a call because I'm lonely here. Uh, 766-1240 in the local area, that's area code 401, or 800-449-1240-1240. We okay. could talk, but what I know about the paranormal is you could fit into a thimble. Well, thanks a lot. You've been the producer on this show listening to every word for the past three months. Right? You, you think I would have learned something by now. Well, you will. You know, well, you, I'm sure you, um, you know more than you, more than you admit. But uh, yes. if you have any questions, hey, pipe up. What the heck? I will, yeah. All right. Anyway, here's another email, and this uh, th- this is an interesting subject which goes deeper into the paranormal than most people do. We, my background, of course, as you know, is theological and philosophical. My advanced degree is in philosophy, and I studied for the priesthood for 12 years, uh, 10 years, I should say. And I, wh- I, I, I sort of look at the paranormal as a sort of a keyhole through which to see how the universe was really constructed what God really is doing. And that may seem like a jump from you know, ghosts and UFOs to uh, you know, uh, sort of d- d- what, how things are in the universe, but I think that they, that's, a, that's a, a key to understanding that. So hence this next question. We did a show a few weeks ago on 9-11, uh, the, the, the terrible ter- uh, tragedy of 9-11, and attacks uh, on our country from... Uh, others who wished us harm, to say the least, and why did God permit such a thing? It's a common question, didn't used to be in history generally, but people wonder, you know, what, what's the reason for this? If God is good, then why are these things permitted to happen to good people? And, and we went all through that, and we had a lot of emails and some give and take on that. And we have a very, I think, unusual approach to answering that, which has a lot to do with the multiverse. Uh, anyway, this is uh, a question about the follow-up to suffering, and it's from Michelle in Glendale, Arizona. Uh, thank you for answering my question about suffering, or another email she sent, and will it ever end. I absolutely agree with you that we, capital W-E, are all a part of each other. That's one of the multiverse uh, conclusions that you reach when you look at the universe that way. Uh, I also agree that we all need to stop acting as selfish individuals and connect with each other. 
your answer on the show was that we all need to come together and work together to stop suffering. I don't know if that really was my answer on the show, um, Michelle. And w- with all due respect to all, all of our listeners, some, some people have an easier time grasping and getting their minds around the, the, or their souls around the multiverse idea than others do. And I'm not saying Michelle doesn't understand it, but I, I don't know if I'd put it quite this way. Let me finish your email anyway. Uh, that certainly makes sense to me. But now the question is, do you think it will be possible I guess, to stop suffering. When I put aside my own suffering and get off my own pity, I I then start to think about others that are suffering in much the worse way than I am. I think about the example you gave on the show about children starving and poverty. That hurts my heart, and even though I know we are connected on a larger scale, how can I help? Okay, the essential point of what we were saying about why bad things happen and... uh, why there is human suffering is essentially that it's not about us. That's not an excuse, I don't think. But God, however you think of he, she, it, or them, I believe has created a perfect world. I believe the world, when I say the world, I mean the multiverse, the whole creation, is perfect. Why? Because there is perfect balance. And why is that? Because in one or another of these multiple worlds, everything that is possible exists. Sure, a lot of bad stuff, but a lot of good stuff too. And I think that is far more, uh, in in very much the majority. And when I say good and bad, I'm trying not to be human entirely on that, in the sense of things that are good and bad to us. Because something that is good good and bad, you know, from the human point of view might be beyond the human point of view, beyond human understanding in the sense of why it is good and why things balance out. So the point being, I think that uh, all things exist in the multiverse somewhere or somewhere, and therefore everything is completely balanced out. Where we come in as a group, and we, we are, I think, in a way, kind of a single being with unique expressions. I think all, each of us is a unique expression of all of us is that when we come together, when we realize, not necessarily that we have to come together, but that we already are together, that there is a vast harmony, and that there is what, uh, in the African sense of Ubuntu, is, uh, look it up, because it's very, very important, is that there is a unity which we have broken. And I think one of the reasons we broke it had to do with other things we've talked about in other shows, uh, interference from, among other beings, these cosmic mosquitoes we were talking about before. Uh, Their their footprints are all over our history. They're even all over our science. And again, not to get nuts here, but I think we we are not entirely responsible for where we are today, but we are responsible for fixing it. I think that when we come together, when we use the harmony that is there, this is how suffering can be mitigated. And the big, big mistake, which is creating more suffering today, in my opinion, is this attitude that it's all about me. I'm always complaining. We're driving around here in this area, and we're in southern New England here, and uh, in, in, a, in an, an old mill town that is, I guess, trying, trying to find its footing again, and, and like many older towns in the northeast. And you drive around, and there are, there are people walking in the street. And I don't understand that when there are sidewalks. I mean, I, I've, and, and it doesn't, I thought it was just like some kind of, 
there, there, are, there are a number of immigrants around here, the third world, but it's not. It's, it's, it's everybody uh, seems to be totally cross-cultural, people of all ages, sometimes people with baby carriages. And I have, I've lived here now for 15 years, and I, it's really strange. To, I don't understand it. You know, we, the first thing I was taught as a child was look both ways when you cross the street. And people don't look, they, they go, you know, rocketing down the, the hill. It's very hilly around here on skateboards or bicycles, you know, with absolutely oblivious. And I, my personal opinion is that, you know, we, we've been, you know, where the, the, the government or, or whoever, uh, you know, makes the playground so, so uh, safe and everything, we, we're not allowed to make mistakes. Not that you want to see people have accidents. But when I when I was a kid, as we might as us older folks say, you put your hand on the stove, you burn your hand. You never did it again. So anyway, the, the point is that it's not all about me. Uh, I think the school, everything is wrong today in that approach. The schools, uh, even the churches, are saying you know the whole thing that started in the sixties. I'm okay. You're okay. Well, you're not okay. Sometimes you're messed up. You know, and if you're messed up, society, your kids are going to be messed up, your family's going to be messed up, and society's going to be messed up. You know, maybe you're not okay. Maybe we need to straighten things out. And you don't do it by concentrating on yourself. A lot of the self-help people out there, and there are millions of them seemingly, we have some of them as colleagues on the part of the CBS network that we're on on Sunday nights, you know, uh, you know build your own world. Uh, discover yourself and where your strengths are. Use your psychic power. Wrong. Error. Mistake. We do that together or we get nowhere, okay? So this is what we're talking about with suffering. As the shamans might put it, and I wish Ben were here because he doesn't like to admit it, but he is a very powerful shaman and has been acknowledged as such by experienced shaman. Anyway, what the shaman do is go into other worlds, literally bring them together with our conscious reality, bring the kind of make the bubbles combine, as a physicist might say, and bring into reality what we need. But we do that together. I'll give you an example. When I was a an editor at the Providence Journal, which is the local metropolitan daily newspaper here in Rhode Island, uh, I was noticing one evening that there was a, a big uh, meditation conference at the Providence Civic Center, now known as the Dunkin' Donuts Center. And they had thousands of people coming from all over the world, and they would they, they sat around and meditated for peace. Everybody else in the news, not everybody else, but a lot of people are saying, oh, that's nice, but you know, they're really dumb. What do they think they're going to do? You know, But wouldn't you know that within the following six months, there were three major peace treaties signed, two wars ended, and a number of good things happened in the world. And I think that people working together, whether they knew it or not, bringing, reaching out together and grabbing a world where something good had happened and bringing it and uniting it with ours, which I think is literally what happens as what we call time progresses, really did some good. So that's what I'm talking about. So, yes, Michelle, I think suffering in the true sense will end. And that, and that, that that's, I don't know if you know that means you're going to have a better marriage or you're not going to be sick on a particular day. That may or may not be true, but I think that it has, there are individual repercussions for all good things that happen on, on the, the multiverse level. Good things affect all of us, just as bad things do. So I think stay tuned, and I think, yes, things will, will get better and suffering uh, will end here. Okay. But again, it's not about us. It's, you have to look at the, the deeper level. Okay, here's another 
interesting one. This is from Joe in Washington State. And Joe writes, uh, I'm a healthcare professional and never had any interest in the paranormal until weird stuff began happening in my life. About five years ago, I noticed what you would call a parasite in my life. Just as you said, it started small and got stronger the more I fed it with my negative emotions. I would see a shadow standing in the corner of my apartment, and I would hear voices at night. I went to see a psychiatrist who worked at my hospital, and he wanted to put me on pills. My marriage and investments fell apart, and I would hear this thing talking to me when I was going to sleep and waking up. It would talk endlessly endlessly about God, that God wasn't good because of all the evil in the world, that God doesn't care about people, that he plays with us. Even for me, who am not especially religious, it was depressing. I stumbled onto your show about two years ago, and through your advice have been able to fight this thing off with positive thoughts and lifestyle changes. You should be happy that you can help people even without knowing them. Well, that, that, that's the best thing about this, uh, Joe, is you know, Ben and I hear from people like you who have benefited from whatever it is we can offer. Anyway, to continue, when I saw the subject of your show for tonight, and, and this was written uh, for the show on 9-11, as a matter of fact, uh, we just didn't get to the email, I just thought I'd write. I agree that we need to take personal responsibility for our world. Okay, that's an important statement at the end. Now, again, these parasites, I find, are attracted by negative emotions. And uh, very often in the, my early days, in the uh, early 70s, working with cases like this when I was still a student, I would run into people who said, oh, well, this, this, is, this is aunt so-and-so or, or my cousin somebody or other who you know, died last year, the year before, whatever, you know, running around my, my living room in the middle of the night and all this stuff. And I even will smell uh, his tobacco or, or her perfume. And I said, well, you know, maybe, maybe not. And I would just find out that when you, if you got, if you, I just, these parasites, I don't know, you get to a point where you can smell them a mile away. When I would begin to question that this really was so-and-so, and uh, I would come to the conclusion that it was a parasite instead, I would let it be known, and the whole thing would change. The thing would change its tactics. Uh, some of them were smart enough to know that they should keep trying to be so-and-so and keep trying to convince the family, but most of them would change and immediately become something different, almost like chameleons, as I say, just part of nature. So if they couldn't get their prey one way, they were going to try to get it another way. So uh, as a result here, I think that uh, I developed a a number of tactics, so to speak, to deal with these things. And uh, I think that Joe here has tried to use some of these to make things a little bit better. But it's interesting that this parasite would talk about God. Uh, they are commonly thought of as demons or servants of Satan in the Christian world and sometimes in the Judeo-Christian world uh, worldview. Uh, Muslims have their own terms uh, for these jinn, if you will, uh, or, or negative spirits. And uh, every tradition has its experiences with these parasites and might call them something different. I even think they're responsible for the, the legends of vampires because vampires were what? Uh, in our modern world, we think of them as you know European noblemen who suck blood. You know, but in fact, in, if you go back into the ancient world, uh, these were life-sucking ghosts. The ancient Babylonians and Sumerians considered them life-sucking ghosts, and that's what these parasites are. So they are the best-kept secret in, a, in our in our history, even in our prehistory. So uh, I guess what um, um, Joe has experienced here is something that. Uh, showed him that we need, again, to keep a positive attitude and to sort of stick together, and that when you are in solidarity with other people, especially your family, these things can't can't touch you. They might be in the background, 
there, there was a, a particular house uh, I know where several people had committed suicide, and such a positive family moved into this place that the negativity was in the background, but it couldn't touch them because they were they had such love and such a, such a positive spirit in this house. So, thank you, Joe, for writing. And uh, it sounds as though you're making some pretty good progress, but but it is interesting that this thing would talk about God um, undermining people's positive uh, faith. You know, people say, you know, and believe me, there is nothing wrong with a good, simple faith, uh, as long as the spirituality is constructive rather than destructive. Okay. Here's one from Mira in Pittsburgh. Uh, okay, I can't remember the stations from there, two of them, Sunday night on CBS. But anyway, uh, could you explain a little more about what you mean by Western thinking and Eastern thinking? Okay, well, we did a couple of shows on what is heaven. And all these things are related to the paranormal. That's why we do all these varying topics. And Mira, uh, I apparently heard one of those, and I I frequently refer to Western thinking as opposed to Eastern thinking. And I'm not talking about uh, whether you're in New York or California, you know, New York being Eastern thinking or California being Western thinking. That's not what I mean. The Eastern mind in philosophy and in science and in philosophical thinking and everything else is essentially one that is very ancient. The points of view are not like our Western point of view in which things are pigeonholed, categorized, and otherwise lined up in a way that we can understand them whether we understand them or not. In Eastern thinking, there's a little more leeway. There's more flexibility. We realize that we are not in control of the world, and we have, as a result, uh, room for things like, in medicine, acupuncture. In philosophical thinking, uh, things like God, spiritual things, non-material things. The Western way of thinking is that if it doesn't fit the materialistic scientific method, then it's it's not legitimate. If you can't feel it, touch it, taste it, hear it, or smell it, it doesn't exist. That creates a problem, especially when dealing with the paranormal. We have a caller? Okay. Uh, Hi there. Welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Hey, Paul. How are you? My name is Scott. Hi, Scott. I I won your book last week. Uh, Oh, congratulations. (laughs) I just got it today in the mail. Oh, it took that long, huh? No, no, not that. Hey, Are you in Canada? No. no, no, I'm here in Oxford. Okay, sorry about, sorry, Canadian listeners, I didn't mean, anyway. So, <laughs> what, so what do you got for us today, Scott? Well, here's, here's a thought. I'm just going to throw this out to you, and I, I would like it if you could respond. We talk about nature and respecting nature and things like that. I've got a big wasp hornet nest in my backyard, and you can actually see it. It's on, it's, it's amazing. It's on a small branch. This thing is amazingly big. And, of course, my dad's like, oh, you know, we don't wasp in the backyard. And I said, no, 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 we let them live. You don't, you don't want to disturb nature. Nature takes care of itself. And he, are you there? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, so backing up for one second, when I say nature takes care of itself, about a month ago, I noticed there was a, a dead mouse in my driveway, and it was a Wednesday afternoon. And by Thursday afternoon, it was gone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't run over by a car or anything like that. So, getting back to the wasp, okay, about three weeks ago, we went in my backyard, and it was about 20 feet away, and I always said to everyone, don't worry about the wasps. You know you know when you get stung, is they fly by you, and you start swinging at them. That's, that's right. When you'll get, that's when you'll get stung. If you just leave them alone, they won't bother you. So, getting back to my original story, about three weeks ago, we were in my backyard, about 20 feet away from this wasp's nest. And we were doing some brickwork. I said, don't worry about them. They won't bother us. We worked for a couple of hours doing some brickwork. They never even so much as flown near us. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, I don't know if you have an attic in your house. We do, and it's a very old house. And I'll go up there as even in the winter sometimes when it when it has warmed up a lot. And you know you have these these hardy individuals, or whether they be flies or or hornets or yellow jackets or whatever, and they'll they'll survive. And I always we have skylights that we use for bird watching and stuff. And I'll open the sky. And the, the, there's a certain compassion in nature. We did kind of a, a show on this, as a matter of fact. I don't know if you heard it. Uh, I was talking about the cat's funeral and things like that. But you open the skylights, and they know when you try and help. I've you never know. been stung. They fly, they fly out, or you know, sometimes you have to conjole them a little bit. Uh, you know, you're, you're careful and you're prudent. But I know exactly what you're saying. You know, there is a certain harmony, and there is a certain compassion in nature. We're taught that nature is cruel. No, it's not. And I can give you examples that would bring tears to your eyes of animals taking care of each other. You know, I don't know. I've never known anybody raised by wolves. There's a girl I know named Wolf, and I always joke she was raised by wolves, but it's not what I mean. But but I, I know exactly what you're getting at, Scott. Well, you know what I'll even do because I just don't believe in in crushing a loving creature. I just think it's wrong. No, me too. So what I'll do is if I see say a wa- like not the wasps that I'm referring to, but if I see a flying creature and it's sitting on the wall, and I'll take a big plastic cup and I'll also take like a oh you know like like a piece of paper or something and I'll just say to it look I'm just going to put you outside don't worry and I just I, I put it in a cup I take it outside and boom there you go mm-hmm. you go you go live your life I'll live mine absolutely I'm even friends with the local skunks <laughs> oh are you really they are wonderful wonderful animals do you, they- you want to hear a great story sure yeah we got a few minutes yeah go ahead all right so I sit on my garage. Now, I live here in Oxbridge, and I live on Blackstone Street, which is literally a, a road cut throughout the, the middle of the woods. Yeah, uh, Oxbridge, Massachusetts, for those who are far away. I mean, yeah, when I get up in the morning at 5.30, I can hear the lions getting roaring and getting fed over at Southwick. <laughs> that's, a, that's a local zoo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it's, it's a great sound. Hey, it is, do you yeah. Wanna, you know, do you want to hear, your, when you drink coffee in the morning, do you want to hear, like, cars going by? What's a lion roar? <laughs> I you love know? it. It's precious. So, anyways, uh, because we're in the middle of the woods, the other night, I sit in my garage, as I'm doing right now, and I'm totally in the woods. And one night, a, I never saw this before, but a skunk just walked, started walking in to my garage while I'm listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. And we just looked at each other. I, and out loud, I went, O.S., it's a skunk. <laughs> yeah. And he just looked at me. And I just said, okay, Scott, sit very calm. Don't get upset. Don't aggravate him. He looked at me, and he just walked away. Yeah. Oh, no, that, that's a common... Uh, you know, not to persist on, on the animal thing, but it's all relevant. It's all relevant to the idea of the unity and, and, of, and of solidarity among all living things, uh, whether here, there, or whenever. You know, um, I happen to, uh, I, I wouldn't push it. Uh, I have a bench out in the corner of my yard where I'll sometimes sit at night and enjoy, just enjoy the evening. And uh, there are some trees, and I heard uh, footsteps coming through there. And I assumed it was uh, our cat, <coughs> who was quite an interesting personality in himself. And I was about to lean over and go, boo. And I leaned over, and about five feet from my face on the ground was the yellow, was the white stripe. So it's a good thing I didn't go, boo. So I wouldn't push it that far. But as, as a rule, um, we lived in, a, in Cumberland, Rhode Island. In, and I, I talked about this a lot on that particular show. Uh, and the, the community of animals was just a wonderful thing to see. Now, of course, there was obviously 
predatory behavior and people have you know animals had to eat but there was an amazing amount of compassion and uh, you would see and this is it's a dumb idea to feed animals outside i know but we we did it for years you just like to do it right yeah the skunks and possums and cat all eating out of the same boat they were all friends it was kind of a little, a little bit of Eden, you know, and uh, uh, so I know just what you mean. Yeah, I have to wonder if, you know, if we went back to like, you know, 1521 or something, we saw the American Indians. I, I, I almost guarantee that that would be their attitude. Yeah, exactly. And when they had to hunt, they had to eat. They would thank the spirit of the deer or whatever it was for giving itself to them. And there was a sense that life never ended. I mean, again, as I often say on the show, we are the, 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 the philosophical freaks of human history. <clears throat> Excuse me. Everybody else had a sense, in some way, of what the shamans were talking about, and of, of the multiverse, of the unity. And uh, I, th- I think the book you've got, if I'm not mistaken, is the one that talks about all that. So let me know what you think of that sometime. Oh, I, I certainly shall. You know, but but just to, to wrap up the conversation, you know, every single time, whether it be a spider or whatever in my home, it, it, it seems like if I say, okay, it's okay, I'm just going to put you outside. Mm-hmm. It doesn't fight. It just goes, okay, goes into the envelope or the cup or whatever. And I bring it outside and I put the cup down and then I'll just, okay, you take off when you're ready and I go back to my house. Absolutely. So I, As do I we. Back, it's gone. It's like they have a wisdom we've lost. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, real quick, a long time ago, well, well, not a long time ago, about three or four years ago, there was this little triangular bug on my, uh, by the sink. I think it might have been a baby praying mantis, hmm. a real, but it had red eyes. And, and this is no joke. I'm not making this up. I looked him square in the eye, and I swear he just understood. It was like mental telepathy. Yeah. I said, "I'm going to put you outside. Everything's okay." And it was it was just very cool between the two of us. That's all. Yeah. Very good. Well, Scott, okay. thanks for your call. All right, Paul. Okay. Have a good evening. Take care. You too. Okay, Scott. Uh, interesting conversation there. Certainly. Now uh, we I think you have time for maybe what do we have five minutes? Yeah. Okay. Well, a real quick email here uh, that'll maybe bring us into the next. Uh, the next uh, theme we're going to have maybe next week. Uh, this is about dreams, and it's from Sarah in San Antonio. And she, she asked that we not read this on the air, so I, I won't even go into any detail here, but she mentioned something that's important. And the reason we would like to read these on the air is because if, if someone is having an issue or a problem or a question, other listeners might have the same issue, problem, or question. And the idea is to help everyone. So I'll just very briefly touch on, on some of the things she says. Uh, I keep having recurring dreams of the same four worlds. And again, the number of emails we got after the May 16th Coast to Coast show was in, it, it, almost 4,000 at this. People are still writing. Because people, for lack of a better term, recognized the worldview that we were saying and said, aha, I feel the same thing. So when you start having experiences of the multiverse, it isn't necessarily warm and fuzzy. Uh, there are plenty of negative things out there, too, and it's a matter of balancing it out where you are and learning from the negative experiences you're having in other lives there. And anyway, to go back to the, the email here, I keep having recurring dreams of the same four worlds. Three of these worlds are devastated. One is going through a war but is now at peace. All these places have a neutral junction. I'm not sure what she means by that. One of the worlds is being destroyed by creatures, and there is nothing but fear there. Another is filled with people that are either catatonic or running for their lives. Another is like ours, but time there has a different feeling. Maybe you can explain this, because I sure can't. Well, I think maybe to a point I have done so, uh, the multiverse issue does involve all possibilities. And this is a principle of quantum physics, somewhere or somewhere, for those physicists who interpret it this way. 
and for certainly shamans throughout history and those who are spiritually adept, all possibilities, both negative and positive, are there without discrimination of any kind. There are all possibilities in one or another corner of this multiverse. The idea is that we together want to bring all best possibilities to fruition in our own world, and we do that together because of our power as a unified species and as a unified biosphere. It's not just people. As, As Scott so eloquently pointed out here, it's all living things. And if you talk to uh, Native American elders or shamans, they will tell you all things are living. Even rocks and telephone poles and these things have spirits. We often will think even even of machines as having their own kind of spirits. So uh, what we're saying is uh, we're going to continue with this, but the multiverse is an issue we're going to talk about, of course, uh, as we go, and the issue of what may be happening to our own over the next few years is something that attracted a lot of attention uh, when we talked about it. So we'll get back to uh, dreams and these issues uh, as we go, but we're out of time for for right now. And I wanted to uh, wrap up. So uh, we do point out that websites, BehindTheParanormal.com and NewEnglandGhosts.com, you can find out more about us. And I also wanted to point out that if you live in the local area here in southeastern New England, the Providence Learning Connection uh, is going to be in action, of course, this fall. And Ben and I will be teaching a course there on exploring the paranormal. It will involve uh, five weeks, and it will involve two field trips to two of my most famous cases, including the Village of Voices uh, and also the In the Dark case, uh, all local here. And we're going to be, uh, I think that's going to be something you'll want to check it out. Check out. So the Providence Learning Connection, southcoastlearning.org, and find out about that. So many thanks to our producer, Steve Bianchi. We'll see you next Monday, October 3rd. 6 p.m. Eastern, 4 Pacific on ON 1240 AM and com. Uh, ben and I will welcome back authors and ghost experts. Tom, oh no, we won't. Uh, uh, I don't know if this is, well, I, okay, we have, I guess we have, you have Tom D'Agostino and Arlene Nicholson scheduled, but that might change. I think we're bumping them to a later time. Anyway, tune in and get, get a surprise. <laughs> we have an interesting guess. Uh, and turn into, tune into CBS edition, uh, Boston, Pittsburgh, Detroit, and Seattle, and we're out of time. So I'm just going to say thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.